Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, Hawkeye fans, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. It is Friday morning, July the 28th, a little bit before 9 a.m. Central Time. Don't uh, don't adjust your uh, audio or anything like that. Your YouTube, we're a little early. We're usually a little after 9, but... Uh, Got to get out of here a little bit early today. This may run uh, for an hour, hour and a half, something like that, hour and 15 minutes. But we got to get out of here around 10, 15, just so you folks know. Uh, I am Rob Howe. That is Scott Docterman. If you're watching on the YouTube feed from The Athletic, we are back from Indianapolis. I was back on Wednesday after Iowa was done. <laughs> Scott was back late last night. And uh, it's kind of just a blur, those things these days, Scott. It just kind of, it, it it's like, you know, Traffic passed him by, it passes by, and there it goes. Yeah, it's honestly the last couple of days was uh, it was a complete blur. There's so much going on, um, and I get usually about a month, a month and a half's worth of material. Not only just Iowa, but really a more Big Ten and national perspective. So. You know, I'm like, okay, now what happened when our Harbaugh spoke? <laughs> I really didn't know because I wasn't there. I was, you know, off with like Nebraska doing something and, you know, doing, you know, believe it or not. Yeah. And then some Big Ten stuff. So, you know, and then trying to remember what happened, what did Iowa talk about? And I'm like, I don't remember, you know, I don't know. I guess when you reach, when we're old dudes now, I guess we reach the the moment of truth. So. Yeah, Illinois didn't disappoint with con- summer construction this year for sure. There was plenty yeah. of uh there were plenty of uh one lane uh, deals going on there and uh so that was fun as well and uh but yeah, it was you know, I think going in you had the Northwestern topic that we had talked about and I totally on board with the guys, you know, the student athletes who decided not to go there. I think that was a wise decision. Uh, obviously the Northwestern interim coach had uh, had a filibuster ready to go at the podium and didn't leave much time for questions. I did not get to his on the side. So if you did, you can speak to that a little bit. Cause that was kind of the main top. That was the main, I guess, news uh, view for, of, of that, of the two days. 
Yeah, I would say that Harbaugh, and then of course the the Bama drop PJ and yeah the Minnesota it, stuff. Yeah, the non-football but, stories. Yeah, right. I would say starting with uh, with Northwestern, it was the right move, and in fact, um, pretty much every athletic director or most athletic directors, certainly the ones that had you know issues going on, were around. Um, where was the Northwestern athletic director? I guess he did have an interview with BTN, but. You know, you might want to answer some freaking questions once in a while. And and uh, instead of subjecting your coach, who's only been there, what, 12 days as, as the interim coach or something like that. I mean, that's a lot to ask. You know, it's a lot to ask of him. I mean, he just got there from North Dakota State and now you're putting him in that position. Well, I think overall he uh, I didn't go to his side. We had a couple of people from the athletic who did. Um uh, I think he handled himself really well the way it sounds. So good for him and good for uh, uh, the way he projected it. I don't know that it's going to matter on the field. I think they're in a very difficult situation this year. They were anyway. I mean, they've lost 11 straight games, Uh, but you know, and I'm, and I think it was absolutely the right move for the players not to go because they're not going to talk football there. We're not going to ask them football there. And none of the people there were going to to do that. I mean, it was going to be all about, you know, and anything that's football related has a sliver into the, you know, the situation. Well, how are you guys handling this? What's you going to do? You know, so there's nothing to be gained. It's an honor for them probably to be chosen, but it would not have been a fun half an hour for them. So I think it's the right move. I respect him for that. I just, I think Northwestern, um, uh, Northwestern's upper management has been as pathetic as any upper management I've ever seen. They just, you know, uh, for, you know, going all the way back to Fitz, and I'm not going to question whether or not that was the right move to fire him or not, but if you have an investigation for seven months and then a student newspaper finds out all this information and then two days later you fired the most popular person that you've ever had in your program, you didn't do your effing job, dude. You should have known all of this before the investigation was finalized. And it was like, oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, well, I got to think on this. Okay, you're fired. And then you don't show up. You don't talk to anybody. I guess they did talk to the Daily, but, oh, we got new information. Why the hell did you you have an outside investigation with a former, what, attorney general? So going all the way, circling this around, the, you know, Northwestern interim coach, Ryan, David Braun, I'm sorry, I was going to say Ryan Braun, but I get, it. but you know, was he did an outstanding job for what he could do. Um, that was a very difficult situation, but I think the rest of Northwestern, I think a clean slate is probably what needs to happen. Yeah, I know the one of the was it the associate head coach who was named in a, in one of the most recent lawsuits, and that's yeah. I think somebody from your organization asked him about that and. I mean, what's he going to say? That's see to me. That's for the AD, not yeah. for the interim coach. I mean, he's he's been there a shorter amount of time than I. Sorry, I forget the guy's name. Uh, assistant. Oh, uh, David Braun. No, the assistant that he oh. was associate head coach who was named in the most recent one okay. for seeing hazing and not doing anything about. Oh, it. okay. I can't remember what his name. He's an offensive coach, and and but Jakeian. That might be right. Okay. But um, I didn't. That, I mean, you got those guys on the staff that, uh, I mean, that was a good question, yeah. but how's he going to answer it? Is he going to come in as an inter- interim coach? That's not, I mean, it's not his call. That's the AD yeah. call. If you have guys on your staff that are being named 
in lawsuits, the AD should be there to say why the guy is still on the staff or, you know, what what's the status of a guy who's just been named in that. And there's nobody there to answer that question. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's fair to have, say, Braun up there for the 15 minutes on television. Mm-hmm. And that and that it should have been Derek Gregg taking questions for 45 minutes. Yep. You know, that would have been the way to do it. You know, don't put your interim coach who just got there uh, in that position for 45 minutes. And don't certainly don't put your athletes who smartly backed off. And instead, here you are, uh, you know, you're, he did like some sort of uh, interview, I guess, with BTN. I did not watch it. He was with Dave and, and Dave's a pro. But, you know, it's just I, I don't. I, I think that every single step they've done is wrong, you know, from the very beginning. And this is uh, just another situation where I think, uh, you know, uh, they need a clean sweep from the president on down. Nobody has handled this even at an F level. It's been more like a zero level. Yeah, no question. And it's going to be a long, long season in Evanston for sure. And uh, we won't even make it to Evanston. We'll be in Chicago at Wrigley Field for that game. So, yeah, exactly. Um, we'll see what we'll see what that organization looks like at that point in the season. But uh, I'm sure this is a story that's just going to continue on and on here. They're going to have their own media day on campus, which will be another uh, opportunity for uh, the administration there to do something to um, – inform the public and, you know, stand up for their athletic department, but we'll see what happens there. The Harbaugh thing, you know, what he bought somebody hamburgers, I think like that, something like that. Wimpy, he bought, he bought Wimpy a hamburger today that he'll get paid for on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but you know, that one to me is kind of silly. Uh, four games seems like a lot for that, but again, it's kind of like the gambling thing. It's a violation. You know, it's a violation. You get caught. What are you going to, you know, well, I, I know I, it, yeah. the NCAA does not make any sense. And we should not be surprised at this point that this shit happens. Yeah. This one was, I think some of it was, it was more COVID related that they were recruiting during COVID. They were watching yeah. uh, Zooms uh, went during a dead period on, you know, of Zoom workouts. They were, you know, talking to players when they weren't supposed to just it, it, and then he lied about it. That was the bit. Yeah. yeah. So if, if he would have done that, I don't know if they would have been docked. I mean, then probably, you know, if for doing recruiting during the COVID dead period and stuff, and then, yeah, you probably get dinged, maybe a couple scholarships, maybe some official visits, maybe a fine, uh, but then lying and misleading that's where you get the four games and then some of the other uh, coaches did too. So, uh, but uh, you know, he was pretty buttoned up about it. Apparently I didn't get a chance to get over there. I was kind of running around, but uh, yeah, it, it certainly was an eventful couple of days when it came to the coaching front uh, with uh, Michigan now. I mean, and you think about it, I mean, now the first four games, that he's supposed to be suspended for are basically like four kids day practices. <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I think they play what, I don't even remember. They play the non-conference all, is ridiculous. Yeah. And then they play Rutgers to start right. at home. Yeah. All four home Bowling Greens, one UNLV East Carolina's I think the first one. And that's, that one could be, I won't even say it, but you know, it, it had, they're not the worst team in the world. They're a bowl team, caliber bowl team. So when you're, 
you know, they, they should coast in those games when comfortably, I would assume. And, and so it's not the biggest deal in the world that way, but you know, you are uh, a two time, you've been to the playoff two consecutive years. You won the big 10 t- uh, title two consecutive years, and you've got a chance to probably be among, if not the favorite nationally. And this is really a, a black eye for the organization that tries to do it the right way. And of course did not. So I think there's some, you know, and then, you know, you move over to the PJ flex situation, which I'll have a story on later this morning. And it's just, uh, you know, I think that one, I'm very, very skeptical on the accusations levied. I think they've been uh, embellished. And I think there's, this is where, you know, I, there's a lot of validity in, in most of the accusations we've heard, and, you know, in the, the team we cover, Iowa to, to Northwestern to, to Michigan State with Nasser to Penn State with Sandusky to all these horrible scandals that seem to be piling on the Big Ten. This ain't one of them. I think this one is the one that I'm like, ah, I'm not buying this. So now, you know, they, they had their own issues a couple of years ago with, uh, you know, the sexual assaults in Dinky town and stuff. But this one to me, I'm just, uh, I color me very, very almost cynical. I'm skeptical. I didn't hear, obviously didn't hear all of the coaches respond to it. Cause like you, I was doing different things when other coaches were talking particularly when it was the podium, but I thought, I think it's, you don't want anything like what happened at Iowa, what happened at Northwestern, you know, what, what these, these situations where, you know, there's an investigation and they're bringing in people to, you know, file a report on, on abusing your program and, and, you know, or bias and things like that. But it does, I hope at least moving forward, put, these programs, coaching staffs, universities under the microscope a little bit more, that this behavior becomes more and more rare, that they know, and these questions were being asked, and I kind of was listening, you know, what, you know, coach, what do you do to make sure these, these things don't happen in your program? And I heard some coaches talk about it, some on the main podium, I heard Kirk talk about it on his side podium. And for those that are listening, there's, there's a we get various opportunities to talk to these people in di- different areas of Lucas Oil on the field. So when, I don't even probably need to differentiate when I'm, we're talking to these guys. But anyway, I digress. Uh, yeah. I, I think there, being asked those questions puts in your mind maybe I can't be the way I used to be. I can't. You know, a lot of the coaches talked about old days when hazing was just it was a part of the part of the game and that stuff needs to be out of the game. This this shit needs to be out. All this stuff where you're doing this, you know, these mental, um, uh, you know, imposing your culture system. It needs to happen organically. Obviously you're the leader. You have control over it, but it needs to be more productive, more, uh, positive. Uh, and Kirk talked about it a little bit, you know, the days of beating guys down and, and, and stripping them of everything and then trying to build them. That can't be the way it is. It needs to be a welcoming culture. It's tough, Scott. It's football. You have to be hard. You have to push these guys for their own safety on the field, yeah. but there has to be a line 
And we've seen too many programs cross that line and it's got to stop. You know, and we're, we've seen a, a gradual, almost a glacial pace, but it's been a lot of changes. And, and you've seen, I would say almost weekly, you know, certainly monthly, where coaches, men or, men's or women's coaches uh, from all kinds of sports have dealt with, you know, player issues, um, you know, and how they, whether they're too, you know, demeaning or demanding, whether they're, uh, you know, they, you know, how tough they are. I mean, and, and the coaches stand up for themselves too. I mean, I would say that, you know, going way back here now, I mean, almost 10 years ago with Tracy Griesbaum probably would not have, uh, the situation may have been different had those allegations come out 10 years later than what they were then, because they were very, very strong. And if you even her. go back before that, Scott, yeah. with Gail Blevins. Yeah, exactly. I mean, great coach, and that was the end of her career. Yeah, and she walked away. Um, you know, I mean, it wasn't easy, obviously, but she walked away from it. Greasebaum did not, and Greasebaum ended up winning a, a trial that, you know, I think if Jane Meyer wasn't a part of that, then maybe she wouldn't have won. But but regardless, um, that that's local to this campus. But I think that there is a, you know, a, a, a come to Jesus moment for the coaching industry that you've got to adapt to your players. And the way that we were brought up or coaches were brought up is, is changed. And whether that's, you know, the, the, there are no, no more two a days in football. There's, there's no, no more, more junction boys. Yeah. There's no more, no water <laughs> Wednesdays, you know, that was always crazy. No water Wednesdays, you know, some places <laughs> had, and, you know, cause you gotta be tough and you gotta suck it up and all that, you know, Oh no, you're, you're going to kill your player is what you're going to do in the heat. And, and, you know, punishments getting up at 6am and running stairs uh, you know, I still struggle with that one. I'm like, oh, they should do that if they do something stupid, but, but they not, you know, and like PJ said, you know, what they did was then at 6am, they had to go clean the weight room. <laughs> they they didn't use like physical activity as a punishment because they're not allowed to. Um, so there's all kinds of different um, deterrents and, and, but, you know, and, and it becomes kind of this Gen Z versus Gen X slash boomer approach. And, and I think that's going to, it's, it's going to be something where there's always going to be friction as to how much can you do, how much can you treat, but, but really it borders, you got to make this not a negative environment. You got to make it a positive environment and that in, and you can encourage your leadership to do whatever, do what it takes, but don't demean your teammates in doing that. And whatever, horse shit Northwestern was pulling in its locker room, which is more, sounds to me more, you know, frattered at her bullshit, you know, stuff that goes on in fraternities than it should on football. But even then he shouldn't go on in fraternities either, but you know, all the days of flushing guys heads down the toilet and, you know, romper room crap that needs to end. It's gotta be about being a positive environment. And, you know, PJ's like, we don't recruit people. We select people. You know, Kirk is that way too. You know, hey, we we bring them. They're all in the same team, and these players need to need to compete right away and, and contribute right away. So there's just a lot here. I think that that needs to be constantly educated. And when you start throwing in NIL and you start throwing in all the the student athlete bill of rights, and I think that maybe is 
needs to happen, you know, some sort of still uh, student athlete bill of rights, then I think that's when, you know, a lot of this will stop and uh, at least move, turn the corner anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll help if the athletes have a little bit more bigger voice. Um, and I think the NIL transfer portal um, give them that. Um, and you're all, you know, again, there's that fine line, gray area, whatever cl- cliche you want to lose. Not, you're not going to make 110, 120 people happy in the football line. Yeah. They're going to be disgruntled players. And I don't know enough about the Minnesota situation. You know more about it, and I know you'll have a story later today uh, talking to Coach Fleck. But if that situation, at least on the surface, and, and I'm not the one investigating, seems different, much different than the Northwestern situation. And that's going to be moving forward. You can't just have a disgruntled player taking down a football program. There has to be – that's why I think it makes – it's important to not have these football programs, Scott, isolated mm-hmm. from the rest of the athletic department. There has to be some oversight. So you have, if there is an issue like that, people could come up right away and say, I have a problem yeah. rather than after the fact or trying to get revenge or something like that. And that's the problem when you have players like, you know, in PJ's case, when he got there, he did dismiss some players and um, I think you know, most coaches kind of maybe not yeah. out and out do that, but they encourage it or say, listen, this may not be the place. And that's just the business side of this. Right. And now that, you know, especially now when you have an open transfer portal, right. it shouldn't be an issue. You know, now I feel for what happened more at Colorado, you know, where all these players were like, you're out of here, you're out of here, you're out of here. That's but the, the, again, the business side works both ways. When you when you have the ability to walk out whenever you want to, well, they have the ability to replace you when they want mm-hmm. to. And um, I think in this case, you know, where one player was complaining that you know mentally he wasn't in a good spot, um, and PJ say, you know, how are you today? And and he's like, oh, I don't know. You know, he's like, well, you're not elite, and you know, I mean, quirky, maybe dorky, or something like that. Yeah, I can get that with you know with PJ, but. You know, the, the clapping when he, you know, he, he does it for energy, you know, every, you know, they, that's what the players were saying. And and he said, and he's like, it's not for me. It's for, Hey, we're practicing. We've got a meeting. We want to get high energy. So we stand up, we clap, we get really, you know, energetic. And that's how we start our day. And, you know, whether it's, you know, whoever comes in the room, you know, we do the same thing. So it's, you know, I mean, it's different. It's it's kind of like you know, I always says we're we're not for everybody. Well, obviously, PJ Flex not for everybody either. Yeah. But there are people who swear by it, you know, and they feel like this is the way I want to be. That all the mantras and and acronyms and slogans. I mean, some people roll their eyes at it. Some people say this is the way I want to live. And and if you don't like it, that doesn't mean somebody's wrong. You know, I mean. You know, people in Iowa and Wisconsin will laugh at it. That's fine too, but just because you didn't want to be in it and he kicked you out, and and then then there are other things that he really took offense with, which was like the drug testing and um, accusations of him. Um, you know that that some players got out of drug testing. He's like, I, it's handled by Drug Free Sport. We don't touch it, and and you know and from anecdotally a few of the people that I talked to that are very, very close to the program um, said, look, 
they still suspend for marijuana, which most places don't. And um, so, yeah, I, it, it just seems to me that you've got to, we've got to be careful and media especially has to be careful because you don't want to bring, you don't want to smear somebody's reputation based on a couple of semi-baseless allegations. And, you know, he called them baseless. Are they completely baseless? I don't know. I mean, if people feel the way they feel, they feel it that way. But I think overall, we got to take them seriously. But before they hit the the airwaves and the and the and, and X, I guess is what it's called these days, <laughs> that they actually need to be vetted thoroughly. And I I'm all for anonymous sources and whistleblowers, but you got to be extra scrutinizing of them. And in this case. It certainly was not. No doubt. And uh, it's really just making sure that your program and your system is, are, is fair, equitable, and as you said, welcoming, positive. You can win that way. You don't have to tear people down to win. It's not. And I would say it's counterproductive to do that these days. I think you can get more out of, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I certainly was never talented enough to play college football, but I, I can see people being attracted to PJ Fleck and what he does and that energy and and getting people going. And Kirk Ferentz is not that way. And he's successful that way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody, it's everybody's, I hate the, the, I hate the saying there's a lot of ways to skin a cat because I don't know, it's just disgusting. And I don't know (laughs) who came up with that, but the idea of there's different, there are different ways to succeed. Yeah. And, and doing it in a positive way. Some of it's, you know, the rah-rah and some of it's not. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's like people are motivated differently in every single aspect of your life. If some people like fire and brimstone, it gets them going. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, they want that loud, uh, you know, focus that, that somebody may give them, you know, like, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Let's get going, you know, and then that, that reinforces them. Some people turn away, they shell up over that. And that's fine too. That's just, you just got to understand the way people are motivated. And as we saw, as you said, you know, Kirk, for somebody like, let's say Jack Campbell, you know, Kirk is the right person for Jack Campbell, understated, focused, single-minded, you know, just really, you know, that's the way he deals with things. But some people want that rah-rah. Some people feel like this is for me. This is exactly what I want. So I think overall what we're, what needs to happen here is, you know, just again, every program needs to decide how to, how to approach this in a positive way. And, and not all interactions are going to be positive because we're talking about humans judging humans. People are going to play that um, some people believe shouldn't be playing. And some people are going to be sitting on the bench that other people think should be playing and you go to school to play football and you get mad because you're not playing or you get hurt or you don't feel like you're 100% healthy. Um, and then you tweak your hamstring in a, you know, in a rainy night in September and you don't play again until the last regular season game or, you know, just there's all kinds of different things that, you know, people go through. And I, I think each individual, you know, toughness matters. I mean, we've seen people play hurt because they want to play hurt and other people who, have a, a sprain or an owie even, you know, well, I can't play. So 
it's just, um, I think you take this case by case, look at the facts, try to evaluate it and make a judgment call as to whether or not it's worth reporting, you know, how much, but, but it all really should needs to be validated and Northwestern certainly was, and Minnesota, in my opinion, was not. Moving on to some Iowa-centric, Hawkeye-centric topics. Uh, was not there yesterday, but I saw some folks, not sure if you got to it, talk to, you know, Jim Harbaugh, Blake Corum about Cade McNamara, got really positive feedback. Uh, it's And Kurt brought it up the other day. It is similar to the Jake Rudock, uh, C.J. Beathard with McCarthy and, and McNamara. There's just, you have two, you have, you know, each in each situation, you had two guys that were capable of being starters and a decision needed to be made on, on one or the other. And Michigan benefited from Rudock going there. And now hopefully Iowa can benefit from Cade McNamara, who by all accounts, and you, I think you talked to Michigan players earlier before this, this is an opportunity um for them to, to, you know, support a former teammate, a former from, for Harbaugh, somebody who he recruited and liked a lot. So um, it, it, hopefully this works out for everybody. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, I remember when Rudock left, I mean, he had still had a lot of supporters at Iowa. Oh yeah. And, and I remember one of the late basketball games that season, you know, after uh, the, the football, you know, way after the football season. So it was like an early March when, you know, Gazelle and Woodbury and all those guys were out there. And I looked and Jerry Palmer is like, Hey, look who showed up. And it was, and it was uh, Jay Grudock and he was standing outside the, the men's basketball locker room. And we talked for, you know, five, 10 minutes. He's, you know, he's always been a super young man. And, and then he was, I'm like, well, so what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm friends with Mike. I wanted to say hi, you know, and you know, these relationships, they're for a lot, if not most fans, they're very transactional. It's like, as long as you play for us and play well, I'll support you. But once you're gone, you know, you're in the rearview mirror and I don't care about you, buddy. Or, or if you don't play well, then we don't even want you to come back to help out the team, you know, in a free capacity, which is what we saw this week with some of the Spencer Petra stuff after I posted it. And, uh, you know, but Jake was a fantastic young man, but you know, and Kirk was right. The best player was CJ Beathard. It's been proven. It was proven that year. It was proved. It's been proven in the NFL because CJ still has a job. He's number two in Jacksonville and probably will be a, you know, unless he gets hurt, he'll be a 10 year guy or more in the NFL. So um, there's no wrong answer there, you know, and Iowa was smart enough then way before the transfer portal to not have any problems because the big 10 had that inner train conference transfer policy didn't want to didn't touch it and whereas um you know Cade McNamara I'm sure people in Michigan you know he was a team captain there they're happy for him too and they should be you know and then if they play one another you can guarantee that you can bet your ass they're both sides are gonna be ultra competitive and trying to beat the other one yeah Blake uh Blake Corum called him a war called Cade McNamara a warrior and said hopefully I'll meet him here again meaning Lucas Oil Stadium in the Big Ten Championship could happen. Uh, the uh, predictions, the media poll came out earlier this week and Wisconsin edged Iowa for the West division by a vote, I think. Uh, and Michigan is the favorite in the East. So certainly 
a plausible outcome at the end of this season. We'll kind of see how things shake out a lot of times. What we think in July and August ain't what we see in November and December. So we'll yeah. see how things play out. Yeah, I I don't give it a lot of validity because we're not allowed to participate. They, they for whatever reason, the Cleveland.com uh, got mad at the athletic for taking a couple of their reporters, so they banned the athletic from participating. I wasn't, I wasn't aware there was an uh, animosity there. Yeah, so I'm like, Can't all right. we all just get along? Hey, and you know what, what the funny part is? Brendan Quinn does the uh, basketball one. For the athletic, and then everybody else is involved. But for whatever reason, we can't be involved in theirs. But um, so, yeah, I haven't voted in it. I mean, it's like you know, Kenny, uh, you know, Kennington got to vote in it like a month after he got here. You know, <laughs> so it's like he has no idea. Um, I I was the favorite to me, no question in my mind. Now Wisconsin maybe has a higher ceiling than Iowa does if things work out right. But you're you're gonna have to take a for me you're gonna have to take a leap of faith with Wisconsin. I talked to Tanner Mordecai a little bit yesterday, and and Luke Fickle was an outstanding coach when he was at Cincinnati. Got him in the playoff. Well, PJ Fleck got Western Michigan at twelve and zero. And it's not automatic that you go there and do that. Matt Rule, Scott Frost was twelve and zero, thirteen and zero. They were they were their own national champion. Remember, and then yes. didn't have a winning season there. So there's no automatics with going from. Um, you know, from doing that. So, uh, you know, and switching the offense. Yes, they've got a great offensive coordinator coming in and Phil Longo. They've got a quarterback who likes to throw it all over. they got a bunch of new receivers. That's not automatic. You know, you just don't know. I mean, you could have a bad day and it could not work out the way you wanted it to. And, of course, it could work out and they could be great. But I, I just, at this point to me, I was more of a sure bet. You know, Iowa's defense was better than Wisconsin's last year. This year, they've got just as many pieces, if not more. In fact, losing Jack Campbell and Seth Benson were huge. Campbell was outstanding. But Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton were pretty damn big, too, for um, for uh, Wisconsin. So they've got to replace them. And, and I expect Wisconsin to be pretty good. But will they, you know, they, they were, what, seven and six last year? You know, they... They uh, lost to Minnesota. They lost to Iowa. Almost lost to Nebraska. You know, so I, I just think right now that it's, um, you know, I think it's premature. I think it's wishful thinking. This is what happens in our industry all the time. That when it comes to football, that people like I, I follow the like we're like cats following the laser pointer. You know, it's like oh that's new, that's new, that's new, that's cool. You know and. Oh, that's stale over there. You know, Iowa, eh, boring. They're doing the same thing. Oh, Brian Ferentz, they're going to suck. Well, no, they're not. You know, so you know, that, think, that's bad. Uh, I think you can, I think Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois. I would not be surprised if any of those teams won the Big Ten West. I would, the other teams in there, I would probably be surprised. Um, and maybe I'm selling Nebraska short. I mean, Matt Rule seems like a likable guy, seems like yeah. he's saying the right things. And he's a good, I mean, he's one where he's been other than the NFL. I mean, he's one in college. Yeah. And I know everybody's replacing and everybody's, you know, got a lot that we know because of the portal. It changed. It's, it's, I haven't dug in yet, but I, I have faith in Fleck 
and Bielema as coaches. I think those guys are going to put their teams in position to win, whether they will or not. I certainly would put Wisconsin and Iowa above those two, but I think those are those two teams are right in that next tier, which is pretty close to Iowa and Wisconsin. Competitively, I think what Minnesota could be, you know, on the field decent. The problem is they play Michigan and Ohio State. Yeah. And uh, when you throw those two in there, that's like two automatic losses versus – Let's say let's say all the the teams lose to the the crossover Goliath, and that would be you know uh, Ohio State Michigan for Minnesota for for Wisconsin it's Ohio State for Iowa it's Penn State you know you you lose those games. What's Illinois got? Uh, let me look. I can tell you. No, you keep that. talking. I'll look at. Okay. Well, but when you got those two, then you've automatically. Put your if you're Minnesota, you put yourself in a position where you have to run the table right. in the Big Ten, and including, winning coming, at, including winning at Kinnick Stadium. Yeah, where they haven't where they haven't won since 1999. You know, and and that's the year you know Iowa was 0 and 8 in the Big Ten. So you throw that in there, oh, you know, it's like you have no room, no margin for error, and. Um, so, you know, and, and Minnesota is replacing a lot. No Mo Ibrahim, no John Michael Schmitz, no, um, you know, Mariano Sari Morin. You know, just they're, they're losing a lot of really good guys. They are bringing back a few. I think Chris Ottman Bell is fantastic. And T- Tyler Newbin at safety is one of the best in the country. But, um, you know, I, I think they could be a competitive team with all those teams and maybe beat in Iowa or Wisconsin. I just don't know about running the table. Illinois would probably be the one that I would – think would maybe be in more in the top three it's interesting scott because illinois plays host to penn state the week before iowa goes to penn state yeah so that is a big that could be a big swing right there one way or the other and then their other crossovers are maryland at maryland we'll see and then indiana at home you know, the Maryland-Illinois game could be a really fascinating game because you talk about contrasted styles. And Maryland has um, the most experienced, high-caliber quarterback returning in Talia Tagaviola. And uh, Illinois is just going to ground you up into meatballs. So, <laughs> you know, uh, that one could be a flip a coin, you know, and, and styles make fights and who's healthy, I suppose. But, you know, I, I think – you know, just looking at it, you know, I think Iowa at Wisconsin on October 21st is probably the one that I would point to as, and I probably should be, you know, this is the last year of the West division. You might as well get the two most successful teams in the West to, to claim it. Uh, if there was a surprise to me, I don't think I could be more surprised if pigs flew and did backflips in the sun if Northwestern won the West. <laughs> you know? I think it's going to be pretty rough in West Lafayette this yeah. year, too. I think there's yeah. good. Because you talked about the the different, the transition at Wisconsin. Yeah. With, you know, the change in offensive philosophy. Yeah. It's changing at Purdue, too, with less talent. Yeah. You know, having Graham Harrell there is going to be really interesting because he's yeah. kind of that air raid continuation. But Brom did it in a different way. Right. Hudson Cards coming in from Texas at quarterback. Um, I think Ryan Walters is an outstanding coach, I and, and I think he'll do well. He'll be better defensively. Yeah, for sure. And and a couple of years ago, they were pretty good defensively. Yeah. You know, it's just um, they've got to find a way to marry the two, you know, to marry, um, you know, physical play with, you know, passing combinations. And, 
you know, and they can upset a few teams. I just don't know that they lost a ton of players mm-hmm. in the port portal, like their entire defensive line. And you just don't replicate them because they were pretty decent players. So, cause I mean, they did win the West last year yep. and they lost like the USC and Auburn and all these teams smoked them. So I think that's, uh, I think it's going to be tough there. Nebraska is the ultimate wild card. No question in my mind, because they've had talent. They just haven't, been coached well enough <laughs> and, and they that, also need to be better in the trenches yeah they just they have to be better in there. absolutely you know you don't have to aspire to be wisconsin or iowa but you better know how to play them physically in order to win and, and last year's game yeah they beat iowa but that was a shell of iowa i mean it wasn't you know <laughs> i mean when you you don't want to i'm not making any excuses for iowa they deserve to lose that game but you know, they, they certainly were not helped not having Sam Laporta, Cooper DeGene, and, and then Spencer Petrus. You know, Petrus wasn't, um, you know, going to be in the Heisman discussion, but he, you know, he could at least hand the ball off and call the right protections. Yeah, no doubt. That'll be uh, interesting. Uh, won't see them till the end of the season. So for, from Iowa's perspective, Nebraska could – you know, theoretically be playing its best football and, and, you know, further along in this transition by the end of November. So Iowa might get Nebraska's best shot or they could be struggling like crazy in the transition and just be bottomed out. No, not bowl eligible and, you know, just laying there. But we saw that last year. And like in a rivalry game, you never know because it could come up and bite you in the ass no matter what's yeah. going on on the other sideline. It reminded me a lot of Iowa 2010 at Minnesota. You know, fired coach, uh, team that wanted to win the pig. You know, they were just inspired to, to, to do just to get something positive out of their season. And they, you know, had onside kicks and everything like that. Nebraska seemed to be really excited about the opportunity of playing Iowa, knock them out of the Big Ten championship game, maybe, you know, win against the Hawkeyes. And, and Iowa, I think Iowa tried harder than they did in 2010, but I, they just didn't have the, you know, I mean, they they pushed the right button. Trey Palmer is the fastest receiver in the Big Ten, fastest receiver at the Combine this year. And you put him on a true freshman, uh, just let him go. <laughs> and then once Cooper DeGene was out, and that kind of bit him in the butt. Trust me when I tell you that I've seen pissed off Kirk Ferentz quite a few times in my life, either at me personally or just in general. And <laughs> that 2000. 10 press conference after Minnesota, he was salty, man. That was as pissed off as I've seen him because that was the antithesis of what he, um, what he tries to get out of his team, which is full effort. And there was just, it was not there that day. Yeah. It was, it was a team that had saw, you know, two weeks previously when they're at Northwestern and the fourth with 10 minutes to go, they're up 10 points. And then Ricky threw one of his worst passes you know, and then Northwestern Dan Persa came back, scored twice, won the game. And then the next week they had the game against Ohio state and lost that in the final seconds. And it was like, yeah, you know, it was the first time that they played the week after Thanksgiving in a regular season game that they scheduled, not the Iowa state rescheduling game. And it was cold and they were on campus by themselves. And it was like, eh, screw this. They're two and nine. I don't care. You know, that, that one in the 06 one <laughs> where Kirk, Kirk broke his foot kicking Floyd. <laughs> On that note, we will take a break. Uh, yeah. And uh, 
come back and talk a little bit more uh, Big Ten Football Media Day. I want to let folks know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people with living, living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at SUI.org. That is SUI.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited. We'll hear from a few more of our sponsors, and Scott and I will be back on the other side. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we are back. Thanks for our thanks to our sponsors. Thank you, folks, for hanging in there during the break. Scott, I guess gambling, the gambling investigation rolls on here. I figured it, you know, I'm telling you, everybody figured we would have a resolution by now. We do not, as August approaches here. Uh, we'll be here less than a week. Um, Kirk had said basically that he hopes to get resolution early in camp, but like we've seen with you know, with the baseball program and everything else. This is whoever's investigating this thing is on their own timeline because what we want to be convenient, which was resolved in the baseball season, so those guys could get back on the field, and we figured would be resolved by now before training camp started. It it may get we may get resolution by the end of August, but we may not. It, they could be going into September, yeah. and and that would be. That's where the heat will be applied on the NCAA, which is you've had four months to do this, get the shit done. You know, you're talking about, you know, it, it's one thing, I hate to say it, but with baseball, it happened just then. Yeah, that was bad timing. You know, it sucks to be baseball. You know, I mean, if they would have, if they would have been investigated in October, well, it sucks to be football. But, you know, this situation, though, you've had all summer, let's get it wrapped up. And then if, um, you know, may, and it doesn't seem like they they know who's involved, of course, but it doesn't seem like they know a range of of uh, punishments. It doesn't seem like they know exactly where things are going. And I can and there's going to be and the frustration is there and it's going to get worse, you know, because, you know, how coaches are. There's such, you know, narrow focus of everything. And if they get into training camp and they don't know if somebody's going to play or not because the NCAA that will get them riled up, both in Iowa and, and Iowa State. I think looking glass half full, at least Noah Shannon and the other guys on the football team can practice. They can start training camp, and at least with Noah, 
there's depth at that his position. So everybody's going to get reps throughout August. And if it, you know, it come, you know, August 20, 25th or something like that, it's getting close to game week. They still don't know. And he's still ineligible. I, I, th- I don't think there'll be a huge issue there with him sitting out. Of course, they're better with him, but at least it's at a position of strength. Exactly. And that's, they can survive that, especially against Utah State. Um, if it's like a one game, you'd what's hate a to. Ute? Uh, well, that's what's the. A, what's a Ute? They're not the Ute. They're the Aggies. Oh, that's right. They're the Aggies. Who's the Utes? Utah. That's right. Yeah. That's a, that's a Native American tribe. And that. yeah, that's how they named the state after the Native American tribe there. Tribe there. And, uh, Utah, Iowa would be a big freaking game <laughs> week one. If Utah has a conference. Yeah, I mean, like, this year would be they're still in the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, for today at least, you know, who knows what will happen tomorrow. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, I mean, Utah went to the you know Rose Bowl a couple years ago. I mean, just yeah, it's a good but, program. Yeah, in fact, they went last year too. I think they went two years in a row. Um, so yeah, they're they're an outstanding. They're real comparable to Iowa, so that would be what, a fun. Isn't Winningham like one of the longest tenured coaches after Kirk? Yeah, I think he's number two, if I, yeah. I recall. So, uh, and they've done an outs. They've actually, to me, been the best story of realignment. You know, over the last fifteen years, because they've they moved up, and then they've been very, very successful. TCU would probably be the other one. Mm-hmm. You know, so but anyway, I, I digress. But yeah, Noah Shannon, if he's out for Utah State, not a very good program. More time for Aaron Graves. More time for YA Black. Jeremiah Pittman. They'll be all right. They'll survive Mario that. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a deep group. Yeah, they're they're pro- they're all right there at this point. Who knows what the injury bug might bite? I mean, like wide receiver last year, nobody could have predicted that. However, uh, you know, the other positions affected. Um, I don't know. You know, that's a different a ball game. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're talking about a, a defensive back or two or some other positions, I think that could really you know, that could really hamper this team. And, you know, and Kirk, I don't think he understands the NFL policy is way worse than the colleges. Colleges is much better. Colleges have streamlined rules. Colleges, you understand what you're dealing with. Um, you know, it's based on money and what you've bet on. And then all of a sudden, how much, you know, and if it's 200 or less, it's just basically, hey, you read this pamphlet, you know, or, or I'll read it to you over a video screen and you say you, you understand. Um, and then if it's below what, 500 bucks, that's a 10% of your season or, you know, a gain probably after you move it around. But, you know, so he kind of said, well, I wish it was like the NFL. Like, uh, not, not this one, man, maybe, maybe others, but not this. So um I don't know. I don't know what they're facing. It doesn't sound like it's going to be too severe, but it does sound like there's going to be some problems, you know, at least the first couple of months. And yeah. Iowa, Iowa State, I know, has some issues, significant issues. Yeah, Kirk said uh, he brought up marijuana. Mm-hmm. That was uh, – and he's right. I mean, yep. the laws have changed in the country. Gambling is legal in more states now. Marijuana right. is legal in more states now. So you have to adjust your guidelines to that. Yeah, and – but you know, but do you think that they've actually that, that? What do you think of the NCAA rules then? I, I mean, I the think, way. Yeah, I mean, I think the the ultimate thing you're looking to do, Scott, is to make sure there aren't students throwing games. 
Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's the ultimate um violation here. If you're if you're throwing games or doing gambling on your own team, that that is no, no, no. no. Then after that, I think, are you gambling on college sports, particularly ones at your university? Yeah. That's a no. You know, a little bit less severe, but that I, I don't think it should be that hard to police this. Because yeah. everything, as we've talked about through the months here, it's all on an app. It's all public record. I mean, it could all be all of that information can be accessed. Right. I guess I look at it this way that if you want to make this process crystal clear is if you're a college athlete, you cannot gamble on college athletics, period. You can't gamble on, you know, cause you may have a buddy heck looking like the Marques brothers. One's at Illinois, yeah. one's at Iowa. And Hey, uh, you know, Henry tells Michael that, you know, Spencer Petrus isn't going to be able to play. And next thing you know, all right, well, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to tell my buddy to go load up and, you have this situation, you, you know, so co- anybody associated with college athletics should not bet on college. I also think probably not bet on your sport at the next level. Don't bet on the NFL. Don't, you know, if you're, and if you're, however, when you start to say, don't bet on the NBA, then you're getting far enough removed that, okay, maybe there, maybe there's a chance that somebody in Iowa was good friends with Keegan Murray, you know, on the football team and then Keegan and they were, they were talking you know, but you're getting through kind of different layers. And I understand the NCAA's concern, but to me, that's not throwing anything. That's not damaging the integrity of the game because Keegan Murray could be telling the same thing to his, um, to the person who, you know, serviced his car or, you know, or his landlord. Not, let's not be naive here. For you know? years, bookies have had runners on yeah. campuses trying to get inside information. And now it's even, it's even more accessible with social media. Yeah. Cause I've got people that are, I'm like, why is this guy following me on, on X or Twitter, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. Oh, he, oh, he works for a gambling site and he knows that I'm publishing news about a team that can be wagered. Yeah. So it's out there. So I realize you have to hold the student athletes to a different standard than the public, but what is going too far? What is overboard and what's the punishment? Yeah. So I, I think personally, it's like, okay, I will not gamble on college athletics. If I do, it's a one-year minimum. And if it's on my own team, it's a, you know, or on my own school, it's a lifetime. I think that's fair. Yep. You know, and you sign it. And every year you're you're brought to your attention, then you're risking your career for this. Then, period. Don't you know? Don't wager on college athletics at large, you know. Uh, uh, but then also don't wager on your sport at the next level, you know, because you know, hey, again, <laughs> football players and uh, you know basketball players talk, and that that would be, you know, understandable for the integrity of the game. But where the the intriguing part comes is when you have Riverside Casino, you know, having a suite at Kinnick Stadium and you have, you know, all these apps and whatever, having commercials during games. And then, you know, you're. Uh, yeah. Is there a casino that's that supports the collective? The yeah, store? elite casinos. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's just. 
you know, uh, you just don't want them gambling and, you know, damaging the integrity of the games that they right. compete at for the most part. And, and so I don't know. I, you got to make some sort of rules. You can't be blind to it, but you know, you also have to, you, you, you can't hold this in some sort of negative juncture, I guess. No, and they, you can't be so restrictive that these guys can't live their lives and have levels of entertainment that everybody else does, especially when it's so far removed, you know, like you were talking about, you know, what if, somebody on the basketball team was friends with somebody who played football at Iowa, who's now in the NFL and playing in the Super Bowl, And just general conversation is telling, you know, his friend about what's going on with his team going into the Super Bowl, And then this, that guy goes to a party and he's playing the squares or something at a, you know, at a Super Bowl. I mean, you're going to penalize somebody for that. I mean, he technically talked to somebody in, that has information, but what is he telling them? And I mean, it's just, it's yeah. too much, I think. Yeah. And then, there, then you start throwing fantasy football and stuff. And shit. Mm-hmm. that's, you know, most of that's for fun. Maybe you draft your, your former teammates, if you're a player or, yeah. or your friends or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, you know, that some of that is, you know, or, you know, and to me, here's another innocent one that could get somebody in big trouble is if you're, let's say you're a basketball player, and you have a pool on the NCAA tournament, you know, it's like, you know, well, that cost Rick Neuheisel's job. You know, I should ask him about that. (laughs) When we're we're there, but, you know, you you talk about, you know, innocent enough. I mean, you know, pools are, everybody's in a pool. Yes. So that's, uh, did you get any interesting Iowa stories, things like that? I, I wrote a notebook today that just had some anecdotal kind of stories. Like, for instance, um, Luke Lachey was looking to pick out a shirt yeah, um, and went with the tight end you shirt to wear uh, to, to spread the brand. Uh, for, he talked about George Kittle and uh, – I thought Luke was pretty engaging. He made fun of Nico Regani being in his sixth year at one point, and he had a lot of neat stories. And uh, again, he's another guy who this offseason feels confident that the offense is going to be better. And I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm, Scott, when I hear this from you know the coaches or the players because I'm still in that wait and see mode. Because I remember last year, this week. Kirk talked about the growth of his offensive line, the same as he did last year. Now we have guys that are older and it seems more plausible now that they're going to be better, but I'm still in wait and see mode. Yeah, no. And I think we all last year gave us the right to be skeptical because, and even so I, I thought last year, okay, they can't be worse. Right. Well, they were. And, uh, you know, so, and the, the line play was the area that he seemed to be the strongest and most forceful in his defense and his projection that they will be better. That's his area of expertise. So they damn, they better be better. And, you know, out of his way unsolicited to really, really praise George Barnett. Yeah, exactly. So when you look at, you know, we've talked about this a few times, Rob, is when you look at the, the line and the players returning there, there's validity in them being better. I mean, they've, 
They have a second season under their belt in many cases. You know, Connor Colby and Mason Richmond, second year as starters. Now they're going to be juniors. When you look at Logan Jones, and, you know, a lot of his problem was caused by, you know, from the snap was looking too much at Tyler Linderbaum and how quick he was off the snap. And so he's get, trying to get the ball back as quick as he can, and he didn't get the ball back far enough. And so he needs to get that rectified. But 700-pound squat? I mean, holy cow. That's Second in the hay bell toss? Yep, second in the hay bell, bell toss in overtime to uh, Jenny, <laughs> Jennings Dunker, who – Two-time defending champion. Every time I look at Jennings – I mean, I'm like, oh, my God, that guy is so big. He's like the mountain from Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, you know, and then you bring in two transfers and Rusty Feth and uh, Dejon Parker, who they're fifth-year guys. They've, they, they're they looking for that opportunity to compete at a higher level. You know, Logan, you know, they've, they've Kirk is really high on him. And, you know, I brought this up before, Rob, and – the, the potential for this unit is not that unlike what we saw from 07 to 08. And in 07, when Jake was the quarterback, he completed about 50% of his passes. They gave up 46 sacks. Um, Ryan Donahue had a million punts, almost as many as Tory Taylor. Not quite. He had him 2 million. Um, <laughs> you know, but they really struggled offensively in 07, and the line really struggled to block, and it was just a lot of just disconnect. They weren't connected, as Fran would say, on offense. Well, the potential is there when you have guys who are now juniors, who have been starters, and New, you know, guys who had their first taste of play last year, Bo Stevens, a Jennings Dunker, and you know, and you know, then you have holdovers like Nick DeYoung, and you know, so you, you know, there's the potential for they, they can go seven or eight deep for experience. You figure another year of playing and getting them getting bigger or healthier in the offseason. I expect them to be better. I'm not going to go as far as to say good. I expect them to be competent, and if they can be competent. I really think the running back's really freaking good. I really think he is. Um, I think he's maybe the best I've seen at Iowa with potential, I should say, since Sean Green and, and Caleb Johnson. And, you know, freshman record, you know, the game against Purdue, notwithstanding the 75-yard the, the run, but the moves he makes and the physicality that he has and possesses, if he can learn to use it, he could be one of the best in the country, even this year. So, you know, that, that gives me faith there. Now, wide receiver, I, the, the book's out for me. I don't know. I just don't know. I think they've got new guys. I think, they they holdovers. Be, I think they could be a year away at that position. Yeah. They just have to be <laughs> – they just have to get open once in a while and catch some passes. <laughs> I know not to be too simplistic there, but, but you know, they have a, 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 one of the best tight end tandems in the country. They have a line that I think has the potential to get better quickly. I think they have an outstanding running back. And a couple of pretty good ones behind him. And then I think they have a, a very an, an upper level quarterback. I'm not going to say NFL caliber, but I'm going to say that he's played at a high level and you know what you're going to get. So yeah. when you add that all up, you've got an offense that could probably average 28 points a game. You know, and if you have that and your defense doesn't fall off too much, and if you keep people healthy, then you got a team that's going to go to Indianapolis. And if you have a puncher's chance in Indianapolis, then this might be you know, the, the last great year of the Kirk Ferentz era, potentially. And I think we see some differences. I think we see some different looks, different formations, 
it's still going to be the same offense. It's still going to be the same foundation. But again, leaning on Luke Lachey a little bit here, he said he has seen some change, some tweaks, uh, some, um, you know, the, the idea of um, calling plays to the strength of your personnel. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, what, what is Cade good at? What is, you know, what are your tight ends good at? What, what is this receiver group capable of? You know, we, we want to be better on the outside, but we don't want to go overboard with how much we put on their plate. You know, it's making all of it work together. And like you said, they're, they're all conference potential, two off conference potential guys at tight end, all conference potential guy at running back. Um, and then we'll see it receiver and mm-hmm. an offensive line. Those, those to me are the, are the two air, the, you know, the, the spots where gro- there needs to be the most growth. Yeah. My, you know, really, if I was to say, what is this offense missing that would make me feel a little more confident would be a, a, a really, uh, an experienced X experienced six, two, six, three guy totally who can go, go get passes, you know, Brandon Smith. You know, something like that. I think, uh, you know, I, I think Ragaini is 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 who he is. We've seen him over time. Get him, you know, you can get him the ball. He'll catch it. You know, he'll find a way to get open. Deontay Vines, you know, I'm still in wait and see mode. I think he's he's shown that he can play, but is he a rotational guy? Is he a starter, a bona fide starter in the Big Ten Conference? I don't know. I wonder your opinion, Scott. Are are the four top guys, and I would put that as Ragaini, um, Vines, Caleb Brown, Seth Anderson, are they too much alike? Is there somebody there that can be that X? Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. I don't know. I think, um, you know, to me, I think Caleb Brown is probably, you know, is probably better served not to be the X based on his, his abilities. I mean, he's kind of a hybrid, you know, a running back receiver type that works better as a Z than he in an aura slot than he does as an X. And I think, you know, is he going to be more like Tyrone Tracy when you try to put him at X and that does that not work? I don't know. I don't know how he gets off the line and I don't know how you know good of a route runner he is. That's, that's those are, real, like you said, he really only has one. I, granted he got tutelage in yeah. the, one of the best places you can, but he's only one. I played running back in high school. So yeah. he's got one year of wide receiver under his belt. Right. And, you know, and he's granted he had Brian Hartline as his, you know, as his coach. <laughs> pretty, good, pretty good guys yeah. in that room. Yeah. And, that, and then you got uh, Marvin Harrison and, and the like. Uh, but, you know, th- this is why somebody like Jacob Bostic or even in some of the newcomers can come in and make their mark, you know, uh, a Dayton Howard or or somebody like that or so, Bowie, you know. This is the key for me, Scott, and I'll see if you agree with this. I think – what Luke said is what gives me the most hope if it happens. Yeah. And that is adjusting your system to the strength of your personnel. Yeah. And if you don't have an X, don't force it. You, ha- yeah. I know that's your system, but find ways to get the ball in the hands of Caleb Brown, wherever yeah. it is. If he's in, you know, in the slot, if you put him in motion on jet sweep, if you put him, you, you put him in a, you know, in the backfield, Whatever you need to do, just get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, whether that's, you know, hey, Luke Lachey is 6'6". 
you know, don't, don't be afraid to, to X him out, you know, or, or even Eric all, you know, don't treat him like a specialist, you know, or, but maybe do treat him like a specialist once in a while. Or if it's you better know. having a third title, you yeah, know, if, right. if Stilianos who, who, who Kirk pumped up a little bit the other day or Addison yeah. Estrenga, you know, if you need to go with a third tight end, do that. Yeah. And 13 personnel has worked for them when they have it, um, you know, and they're really good at it. So, you know, overall, you know, you, you could be hopeful. I, I'd still say that one, you'd be cautiously hopeful. <laughs> you know, let's, let's see what happens. Hope, you know, hopefully for Iowa that they have a few players who can kind of, you know, move forward. But, um, but, you know, a Jacob Bostic who's six, two can really run. He hasn't been healthy since he's been on campus. This is your chance. This is your opportunity to, to do something special. And, you, you know, Deontay Vines, same deal. Um, you know, the, there were some that went out to California and, and got some extra work and that really helped them. And, and I think they've got that chance, but, and then the newcomers, as we said, you know, that, you know, that you're not walking into a place where you're like Ohio state going, it's going to take two to three years to play unless you're Marvin Harrison, you know, you've got, you've got an opportunity there. You can go seize it. And even if you're a true freshman and you've got that kind of ability, you're going to play. So, you know, and even if you're a walk-on same deal. So I think, but that's still the position group that I really look at as the biggest question mark. Flipping over to uh, the other side of the ball. Um, somebody asked Cooper DeGene who he thought the breakout player would be on defense this year. And he's, he gave us two guys. Uh, as you would expect, Xavier Wongpa, who is yeah. following the same path as Cooper. Yeah. Uh, got his feet wet in the bowl game, <laughs> made some plays in the bowl game, and now he goes into the next season as a starter. Uh, and the other guy he named was Aaron Graves, who uh, I know you and I are both very high on. So um, I don't know how I, – I know how it happens for Xavier. He, he's, you know, the projected starter. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Aaron Graves because I kind of got a A.J. Epinesa, Lucas Van Ness – this guy should be on the field more than he's on the field, but we have other guys that have been here a while. That's the Iowa way on that one. <laughs> and it drives us crazy. But, you know, the thing is with defensive line, especially interior, it's not that much of a detriment to have them limited, you know, and playing half the snaps because a lot, you know, when it, it's kind of like with basketball too, where, you know, the team on the floor in the last six minutes of the game is the best team to have on the floor in a lot of cases at Iowa. And I think that's the same case here where when you get into critical situations, the best players will be on the field. And, um, you know, no offense to, to Noah Shannon. He's played really well, but we could see that it's not dissimilar to, to compare Parker Hesse and AJ Epineza to Shannon and Graves, where, Shannon might go to the NFL and stick around for a while and be a tough dude. And he's a, certainly a stand-up guy. tight end, though. No, he won't. <laughs> no. You know, loses 30 pounds and maybe he's a fullback. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But uh, but Aaron Graves is a guy that we think, uh, you know, he could be first-day pick. And and I think YA Black has that kind of potential, too. But I like Logan Lee a lot, so I don't know that he's – it's just, uh, you know, this is the blessing part of this that – you've got enough players and, you know, maybe on the edge, there might be a little bit more of a concern, not having somebody like Lucas Van Ness, but having, you know, I think Craig is going to take that next step. I think he might be a breakout guy. Joe Evans, you know, it's more the depth on the outside. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Because I think Evans and uh, 
What did you just mention? Yeah. Um, Craig. Craig. I mean, I mean, those two guys I think are really good. I yeah. think that gives you two really good guys on the edge. It's just after that. Is it, is it Ethan Hurkin? Is it Max Llewellyn? Is it, you know, I'm sure yeah. you have yeah. guys on your list. Yeah. I mean, and I want to see, you know, and, and you know how they kind of move. Everybody knows the other positions, you know, would it be a situation like, Hey, if, uh, you know, it, maybe they move Logan Lee to the edge and then they have YA Black in there and, yeah. you know, it, it, they can do a lot of different things. And and plus Ethan Hurkett's been, you know, is a tough dude, you know, he's kind of like Carl Klug to me, except mm-hmm. he's an edge guy. And, and uh, you know, and who knows, maybe this is the opportunity for a guy like Brian Allen or Caden Crawford to, to yep. make that, take that step forward and, and be on there. I mean, you know, Jackson Filer could have a role if he's eligible, um, you know, and then there's Jeremiah Pittman who could play inside too. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've got a lot of options and heck even Aaron Graves might be able to play the edge too. So I think, I think they've got a lot of potential. I know they like Max Llewellyn a lot. I know that Ethan Herkett, when he's played, he's played well, he's a tenacious young man. Um, so, you know, there's, there's no Lucas Van Nest today, but I think Graves, Craig and Black definitely could be that for those guys. And then uh, lastly, uh, you know, I I wrote I, I don't think there's a position that is, and you know, I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but has been hit harder uh, than linebacker in terms of players lost with Benson. Uh, well, when you look at it this time last year, you had Benson, Jacobs, and Campbell all on the Butkus list, yeah. and they're all gone now. So right. obviously, we feel good about Jay Higgins, we feel good about Nick Jackson, but what happens after that? What what's beyond that? And I thought Jay did a really good job of talking about those guys the other day. Uh, what's back there? He He's a super leader. The kid is just, he's so, he gets it. He's just so locked into, you know, what's going on around him. It's not just about him. It's about the whole room and the whole position. I think they have really good leadership in him and Nick Jackson who have become really good friends and are going to room together. Uh, yeah. So that's good to see. But uh, he mentioned pretty much, he mentioned that group that we've talked about, Scott, that Jackson Rex Roth, Zach Tweet, Kelby Tellander, Jaden Harrell, Carson Scherer, that same third-year sophomore class. What can they get out of that? And then he also mentioned, you know, the freshman class where you've got Van Kekerix and Montgomery coming back, yeah. Yeah. and then Aiden Hall and Ben Keeter. He's very high on Ben Keeter. He, he stopped himself a little, so he goes – He's kind of like Jack Campbell in body type and being a tall linebacker, but he didn't want to go there, which was probably a good smart move. Yeah. You don't want to do that, but everybody already is. So might as well. (laughs) Good thing is for Iowa. um, Well, certainly depth is a concern. I don't want to leave out Kyler Fisher too. He's uh, beyond those first two. He's the most experienced of the group. If I was to make a guess, and this is only an educated guess is I think Higgins and Jackson are going to start. It's just a matter of where. And my guess is that Higgins is probably the middle the mic and Jackson, probably the weak side, just simply because uh, Higgins has more experiences. The mic, yep. um, you know, the Leo cat, you know, the Leo's position, I think, you know, Jackson Rex Roth is a really good athlete and he's, you know, he set the squat record when he was a D back and he just got too big. We moved him to, he was the to, first you know, guy that Higgins mentioned. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've known his, uh, his dad since I was four years old, you know, so, and his, his uncle, his dad's younger brother and I were best friends in kindergarten. So. <laughs> his sister's <laughs> a really good volleyball player. 
Yeah, right. It's an so, athletic family. There's a lot of good athletes in that family. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've known him, you know, I've known about him for a long, long time. And and so when you, you know, but the other thing is when you have Sebastian Castro, <laughs> you don't need to, to play Leo all that often. And when you've got a team like Wisconsin that's deciding to go more um, spread as opposed to, you know, two tight ends and a fullback, then you really don't need to play them that often. So I think, uh, you know, last year, I think I, I had it. It's like 74 to 26 in percentages that they went cash. When you've got Castro who could hit like that, he could pretty much play your Leo anyway. So I don't know that it's that big of a concern. The only question I have then is, you know, is depth in the secondary. Um, I think DeGene and, and Wampa are elite level athletes no question I think Quinn Schulte is is one of the better ones in the college football and uh and we've kind of under you know it's easy to underrate a guy who was a walk-on but I think the way he played last year he played like a you know a damn near a four-star and um you know the the, the second corner opposite DeGene is the really concern you know is can Jamari Harris be what he was two years ago when he was an ascending player and against Kentucky he looked really good you know can TJ Hall and Deshaun Lee take those steps and be quality backups to where, you know, next year they can step in and be starters if needed. Uh, As Kirk even said, Scott, I mean, they were looking for a corner in the transfer portal. They just right. didn't get one. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that to me is, you know, the depth of the secondary injuries could impact that significantly, but it, you know, the, the first level is, is a, is a really good chance. I think. Uh, where are we at? Yeah, we probably should yeah. wind this thing up so you can get on uh, with your other responsibilities. Um, let folks know what you've got going on over at the athletic. I know it's not all Iowa stuff. No, I gotta I gotta fit in the Iowa stuff one of these days, but <laughs> I do have a lot of that too coming, but I gotta figure it out. Um, you know, I'm writing about TV in the Big Ten and it's uh I talked to people at CBS and NBC and got the breakdown of what each network is doing and then um, talking to the big 10 here in a little bit getting a little more background so that should be coming out early in next week um talk to beth Getz at iowa and i should have something on that i talked to brian ference earlier this week and we'll have something on him too so um you know and then around the big 10 i've got some other bigger stories you know some money stories rutgers um is still the last of our pieces on uh, realignment that's coming up and just finished the first part yesterday with Stu Mandel and we'll get ready for the, the big old fashioned uh, editorial part of the process that'll, <laughs> that'll piss everybody off. But, uh, but anyway, so <laughs> it's my head was on, I was on like, oh, I don't know where I am, you know, half the time the last two days, but give us a little preview of what you feel like, which direction you're going to go on with the Beth Getz story. I think she's intriguing for a lot of people that don't know a lot about her yet. Well, I wanted you to give away your story angle, but what were some interest, just kind of some interesting takeaways? I think a lot of with her is how she's positioned herself for this role her whole life. And a lot of what she's done has been accidental, if you will, that she's um, not, she, you know, she wasn't, her plan was, you know, she went to, she majored in psychology 
And that's what she wanted to do. But people kept saying, Hey, you'd be a really good coach. And then she decided to do that. And it's like, well, you know, we think you, you know, you get more responsibilities and now you're going to be an administrator. And then, then you decide, well, do I want to take this next step? Okay. I will. And then, and then here she is bouncing around and she's like, wow, you know, she's, uh, you know, kind of a rock star. I, I, I talked to several ADs there for some stories and all of them, all of them were very positive. Her, they, they'd all say, Hey, off the record, you know, is, is Beth going to get that job? And I'm like, I think so. The only way she doesn't is if like Brian doesn't get 25 points a game, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, they, but they were all like, yeah, she's really good. She's, you know, one of the more talented people there. And she's, she's managed crises at major levels. I mean, the, the Minnesota with Norwood T doing, and if that would have happened 10 years, you know, 10 years later, and the Me Too movement, it would have been really big news. Mm-hmm. Um, but she handled that, and she was pretty new at that point, you know, in, in her job and trying to manage that. Um, she's got some really good ideas. She's kind of she's going to have a news conference not next week, but the week after, so we can all kind of see kind of what's next out of her. But uh, she has some relationships with the collective already. She's in um, talking to the, some of the coaches on campus. I'm not quoting necessarily. They're all like, yeah, she's uh, she's reached out. She's been great. We really like dealing with her. So there's a lot of positives there. And, you know, I think the good thing about her is she's been at enough schools that she can kind of com- combine all of her knowledge and and then make it her, you know, but then also make it her own. And she's not going to be lacking resources at Iowa like maybe she did at Ball State. You know, she's got some coaches. She can go at an elite level and compete. It's just going to be about um, kind of managing the situation, finding the ways to improve the athletic department, move it forward. And then, um, you know, my anticipation is that she gets the job. I just don't know that they'll they'll open that up. I mean, I think she's she's a really talented candidate i thought that as soon as they hired her as the deputy and it was like you know she did say you know i don't want to give too much away but she did say that that you know the conversation was that with gary that he didn't think he'd be in that job all that much longer so when she was but, when they brought her in yeah but he also she also said i didn't think it was gonna be like nine ten months later either yeah. <laughs> well hopefully she takes a proactive approach it sounds like she has that capability and and you know, has ideas on how to uh, be proactive instead of reactive, which uh, we've seen does not work well. Um, so hopefully she takes that approach. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. All right, folks, we got to get out of here. Scott's got an interview coming up here in 15 minutes. So I want to give him a chance to uh, get more coffee or whatever he needs to do. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thank you to the sponsors. We should be back regular time next week on Thursday at 9 a.m. Appreciate everybody adjusting uh, to our schedule and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.